uh, good to pretend to see you online. I don't actually know who's there, but I know people are there, so it's good to have you there. Um, welcome to the Advent season. This is a this is a season that comes with like tons of emotion, and just like kind of everything else, right? Um, and a season that hopefully hope stirs in us joy, peace, love. These things really stir, and as they come to the surface, they, they come to the surface with some other stuff too, and that's all right. We're good, because uh, God has us. So in this season where we're really longing for Jesus, I usually think of that as like little baby Jesus, right? I usually think of this longing for uh, Emmanuel in child form, longing for the beginnings of the Gospels that, w- that we know. I-, I usually think of Advent as that. But this year, uh, we're, we're following the lead of this book, Holy Disruption, and uh, it's based on uh, the book of Mark. And so if you want to have some discussions about this during the week, Tuesday nights at Cat's House is going to be a discussion on the actual book. We're using some of the verses that the book goes through and, and kind of just wandering our own way on Sunday mornings. But Tuesday nights, if you want to talk through the book just for this Advent season, Cat's uh, got that group. But it's interesting as we follow the book of Mark because the first hearers of Mark and all of us who have read it since or heard it since, we're not longing for a baby because in Mark, Jesus is never a baby. It, I mean, he is, but it's just assumed that he got to there. Mark starts at the baptism. It's a very different story. And when you think of it, all of the Gospels are re- written after Jesus was born and lived and died and was risen. And then they were written. And so the longing that the hearers of the Gospels had was not so much for the baby Jesus, but for the returning Jesus. And that looks very different. That feels very different. And so we're going we're gonna to start walking through that this morning. But before we do, I, I want to pause and, and pray again and just invite you to do that as well. And here we are in this beautiful old chapel where people have prayed to you for years, where people have brought their desires and their longings and their aches and their praises and their joys, and now we join with them. Here we are celebrating this Advent season where people have longed for you for generation after generation after generation. And now we join in. And like all those who went before us, we know that you are with us. And so as you are with us, as you are Emmanuel, I ask this morning that we have a sense of you. That you gift each one of us something unique, whether it be a moment of peace or hope, joy, love, relief, rest, whatever. Whatever it looks like, whatever you have, God. We ask that we would be open to receive it and experience more of you. In your name, amen. 
Well, to properly start off this series, we're going to have a little history lesson. We all okay with that? Doesn't matter. Even if you hate history, I've got the mic. So we're, we're going to do a quick little history lesson. We are in Rome, where there is an emperor named Nero. You guys heard of him? If anyone says, hey, you remind me of Emperor Nero, that person is not complimenting you. Just He's one of those guys, okay? He, he lived from 37 to 68, and he became the emperor in, in the year 54. So at 17, he's the emperor of Rome. That's, that's a lot of power. That's a lot of responsibility. At 17, I could barely work at the drug emporium, stocking toothpaste and deodorant, and he's running an empire. And he's a guy who had a past. He, he had problems with his family, was adopted into this other family, which, which happened tons and, and meant a little different in, in Rome, but adopted into another family, then all of a sudden became uh, the son of the emperor, Another son was passed over. He became emperor. All of this stuff is happening, okay? You don't have to remember all that. But here's a few important things that happen. He becomes emperor in 54. And then in 64, there is what's known as the Great Fire in Rome. So Rome is like 14 neighborhoods. And 10 of them go on fire. You could imagine, right? Homes were very close. Shops were very close. A lot of it is built of wood, and it just goes up. It's believed to have started in this one little shop, but rumors go quickly. And the rumor starts to spread that he started it, that he burned his city because he wanted a big palace. And whether he started it or he didn't, what came next was a palace. It was a big old palace for him. And there's tension all over the place. And the interesting thing that happens with this is he tries to spin it. Have you ever heard of a political leader trying to spin something? He tries to spin this situation and has to find somebody to blame for this fire. And he can't just say, like what the Chicago fire was, like a cow kicked over a bucket that started a fire or something like that. He couldn't just say this accidental thing happened. He had to blame a people for personally trying to take down Rome because that was the only way to deflect off of himself. And so there was this new group of people who weren't really trusted, who were seen as, as like a lesser religion that were called Christians. And he said it was them. They're trying to take down Rome. It was the Christians. And so then all of a sudden, all of these Christians start being martyred. All over the place. They're, they're put on pikes. They're burned alive. They're on crosses. Just all over the place. If it is known that you are a Christian, your life is in jeopardy. This is new to us, like most of us in our lived experience don't live this way, but parts of the world, even today, because of your religion, like, that can be what you're facing, right? So that's in 64. 
And he's trying to blame Christians and keep going after Christians. And then in 66, in Jerusalem, there is this Jewish revolt. Okay, keep in mind, when like Paul is writing and people are writing, they understand themselves as Jewish. It's a, it's a part of Judaism, right? Christianity comes out of Judaism, and they're like, hey, we are the part that believes we know who the Messiah is. If you look at Acts 24, it's seen as the Christians are described as the sect of the Nazarene. Like it's, it's like the denomination known as Christianity. Eventually there becomes more splitting here. But at this point, there's a revolt in, in Jerusalem. And it's over religious tensions. And it led to the destruction of the temple in 70. So we have 64, we have this great fire, 66, we have this Jewish revolt, and then in 70, Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is destroyed. And Christianity is kind of in all of this, the Christian message is in all of this. Why are we saying this? Well, think of the history books that you, do you guys like to read history books, like on historical figures or, or things like that? It's, it's interesting to look at when they are written because it kind of informs why they were written, right? Like there's this great book, Bonhoeffer's Black Jesus, that was written about 10 years ago about Bonhoeffer, who lived quite a while ago. He died quite a while ago. But he, the point of this book is how influenced Bonhoeffer was by his time in Harlem and how the historically black church impacted Bonhoeffer and when he went back to Germany, he was a completely different person because of this time. And the nationalism fell off of him. He no longer believed that Christianity and nationalism belonged next to each other. And that was because of what happened in Harlem. But it was written 10 years ago. Why? Well, that was something that the author was very interested in because you're seeing the same patterns, right? So sometimes we pay attention to when things are written because they really matter. Mark was a scribe or an associate of Peter. He's writing Peter's account. He's writing it to tell a truthful account, yes. But you can't just write everything that Jesus ever did or ever said. You can't write like he ate this on Tuesday and he went to the right on Wednesday. Like, you have to be selective, right? And Mark's point was that he wanted to describe who Jesus was and what it looked like to follow Jesus. And it was written between 66 and 70. So Mark is writing. Here, here's where we have this handy little map. Uh, I'm, I'm currently a, a weatherman. Mark is written here in all of that tension. It's written at a time where Christians are dying in like multiple creative ways. Where the nation state is against Christianity. Where you have to choose. I am a Christian or I am a Roman. It's written at a time where they're, you know, they're blamed for things. Where the, the temple, where there was so much hope, where the temple is destroyed. At, we don't know that it, originally it was thought to be 70, that now they think it was a couple years before, but it's in that climate. It's at those times that Mark is written. 
And so some of the things that you find in Mark, remember that that is who is reading it. Let me give you an example, okay? Mark 13. You've probably read this. Mark 13, 7 through 10 says this. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, but this, uh, this is but the beginnings of birth pains. As for yourselves, beware, for they will hand you over to councils you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. And the good news must first be proclaimed to all the nations. This is Jesus being quoted here. That's a powerful quote. If he came in today, if Jesus came in today to us and was just kind of shooting off the cuff and just kind of talking of something that, that we need to hear, and he chose that, we would be like, whoa, that sounds like it's taken a dark turn, right? That, that sounds a little scary. And, and when we read it, it's like, oh, I, I don't want more war and earthquakes and famines. I don't, I don't want to be beaten in synagogues. And, and we need to read this, but for us, it would be like, oh, that, that sounds like things are going to get worse. For me, in my Life living in the Iroquois area, this is not my reality. I still have turkey left in my fridge. There are wars, but not on on my street. So this sounds like particularly scary. And we need to be aware that this is happening all, all around the world. But also we need to be aware that the people who first heard this, what was their life? Their life was nation against nation. War. Their life was being captured in the synagogue. Being brought before governmental leaders. That was their life. So when they hear that Jesus had predicted or prophesied that that would happen, what would you feel like? If your reality that feels terrifying to you, you find out that Jesus said, hey, that'll come. You, you don't have to worry. You'd be like, oh. Okay, because that, that feels terrifying. I feel like I did something wrong. I feel like maybe you weren't strong enough. I feel like maybe fill in the blank. But Jesus is prophesying what is their reality, and Mark is like, hey, as people who are being hunted by the government and all this kind of stuff, you need to know that Jesus said this. Because this is your life, but you're okay. Jesus knew you would go through this, and he wasn't terrified of it. Okay, let's look at another one that might fit us just slightly more. In 32 through 37, we see this. But about that, uh, uh, this is about when Jesus will return. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his own work. 
and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Now, does that mean you're never supposed to fall asleep? No, that's, that's not what this is about. But there's some interesting things here. First, this is Jesus talking, and he says the son doesn't know. I don't know. That's what he's saying. I don't know. My father knows, but even I don't know. That'll mess with me. We see similar things in Acts, right? Where there's this Trinitarian thing happening where the father knows something, and and Jesus doesn't, but Jesus is still God. And that if Jesus doesn't know and is okay, I, I think I can be okay. And usually we come to these passages and we think, oh, I'm going to guess when he's going to come. Or tons of people with microphones like to say, here's the day. It's, it's next Tuesday, so sell everything you have and give it to me by next Tuesday. Right? We, we try to guess. No, that's not what is said here at all. What does it say to do? It's like the owner of the house goes on a journey. And everybody who has a job in that house, what are they supposed to do? Keep doing their job. Keep doing what you do. I, I love this part about the, the doorman. Like, have you ever gone to one of those hotels where they care about who comes in and out? Like, usually we don't pay that much. We, we stay at the ones where, like, they're like, yeah, you barely paid anything, so we're not paying attention. We're not even cleaning. But sometimes, when you stay at the nicer ones, they pay attention to who comes in or out. And they're like, um, excuse me, do you have a room? I remember Nikki and I were in New York, and this guy was like, do you have a room? And I was like, well, yes, I do. And he's like, can I see? Like, I, I don't look very believable, I guess. So I show him my my little room card and, and he's like okay and then a little bit later we walk through again he's like do you have a room and then I was like oh I think I like this and, and then he knew me and we talked and I realized I was supposed to tip him each time and all that came later but <laughs> that's what this this is the 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 doorman the the person is supposed to watch who's coming and going and not fall asleep w what does that mean not don't stop doing your job. Expect the owner of the house to come back to the house. It's the owner's house. Expect the owner to return. Now this is red next to the wars and famines, and sometimes our theology starts to be like, God is going to come back and just, you know, like burn this thing like the end of an uh, action film, like throw something back and slow walk and it all explodes behind no, the owner of the house comes back to the house. Why? For the house. The creator of the world comes back to the world. Why? Because he created it. Comes back as the same person, doing the same thing. When Jesus first came, what was he talking about? He was talking about love. He was talking about mending us to be whole. He was talking about hope, joy, us caring for each other, healing, all of that. When he comes again, it's the same thing. That's what he's coming to do, except it's final. It's like, I'm not playing around anymore. Now we're really going to love. I'm not playing around anymore. Now there is going to be joy. Now there is wholeness. We're not playing. 
It's not, I, I'm not we're not playing, I'm going to light the thing on fire. It's not, I, I'm, I'm going to take the three people that I like. It's, I'm coming back to my home, to what I created. And we're going to have what I said we're going to have. So what do we do when we wait, when we're longing? What are we to do? Our job. That's it. We long, we can't wait till he comes back. Maybe we get increasingly excited for everything to be made right again. But in the meantime, we don't just kick up our feet and say, I mean, it's all, it's all horrible and it's just getting worse. Said there's going to be war and famine, so might as well have war and famine. No. So I'm, I'm going to be about the family business. I'm going to learn to love well. I'm going to be somebody who is bringing peace or acknowledging peace or finding peace. I'm, I'm going to belly laugh in happiness and in joy. And then when life hurts, I'm going to find joy because that's the family business. And I'm committed to this. Why does this matter right now? I think it matters so much because in my life anyway, I have often felt like I tried and it didn't work. Have you felt that one? Let, let me tell you a, a story of what I mean. I, I used to live in, in this neighborhood, I think a lot of you know it, right on 2nd Street. And I used to walk, and uh, I'd walk down, and just past Magnolia, there's a, a little park on the left if you're walking down towards campus. And there was a, a man who was staying in the park, and we got to know each other a little bit. So much so that I would like make an extra sandwich, I'd bring an extra soda, we'd sit in the park and I'd hand him the sandwich and all this kind of stuff. And um, I'm walking back one day and I had just gone to, I don't care much about clothes, but I love Adidas shoes. It's just my thing. And I'd just gone to the outlet and I got these shoes that I thought were awesome and I brought them home and Nikki was like, oh, you're going to wear those. I'm like, oh because they were like a little brighter than I normally wear. And she's like, no, they're cool. You just always wear gray. Everything's gray. And like, yeah, these are not. These are like shiny. So I put them on. I go for my walk. And I'm coming back. And I'm a block away from my house. And I don't have a sandwich. I don't have money. I don't have anything. I see my friend. He's like, do you have money that I can like go into the corner store? And I was like, I I'm not lying. I, d I don't have anything. And I got to go home. And I look down. And he's got cardboard and duct tape around his feet. He's never had that before. I don't know where his shoes went. And I said, what, what size shoe do you wear? Hoping that it's like a size four. And he says, I, I wear size 11. And I feel this thing in me. It, God didn't say, Matt, you need to give me your shoes. But I did feel this thing. I'm like, I got to offer him my shoes. They, they've got like three miles on them. It's not even like gross old shoes. And so I say to the, this guy, I say, hey, I don't, I don't have a sandwich or, you know, I'm not trying to pull like the axe thing, but I'll give you what I, but I, I say, but you can have my shoes. I'll give you my shoes. And no lying, this guy goes, no, I'm okay. <laughs> he goes, 
back in, he goes back in the park, and I walk that last block like Charlie Brown with my bright blue shoes that I can't trade for cardboard. <laughs> and that one's funny. But a lot of times it feels like that, right? Like we try to do, we're trying to do what we think God would want us to do. We're trying, and it doesn't work. And eventually we're like, are we, are, are we doing this all wrong? Do we need to do something else? We do it in our, in our own lives, but then we do it like, as a church, we've been at this as a church, like you are some of the most faithful people that I have ever met. When I think of what you guys have weathered together and chosen to stick this out and keep coming back and like, yeah, we, we don't have a building, that's okay. We'll meet on Zoom. That's okay, we'll, we'll rent an old chapel. We'll bring blankets. We'll maybe have power some weeks. I mean, we, we've had some weird stuff. And then sometimes it feels like, and I've heard it in you, like, is this, is it working? I mean, this is great. I love you all, but is, is it, I thought it would look different. Even bigger, Christians have been around, like, since Jesus. And some great things have happened, but some really dumb things because of us have happened. And it's like, is it working? And plenty of people, especially these last couple years, have kind of tapped out. Have kind of been like, no, this is too hard. The pandemic exposed some stuff. They found out where people stood on social justice and race and class. They thought that they were brothers and sisters in Christ, and then they find out that they're pretty divided, and they're like, I don't know. I don't know where I am with this. I don't know about this anymore. Why does this verse matter? Because Jesus is coming back for the house. Because the God of justice is still the God of justice. Because the God of hope is still the God of hope. The God of love is still the God of love. The God of peace is coming to bring peace. And there's people actively working towards it. And the Holy Spirit is doing that now. And we're getting first fruits and first glimpses and all of that now. But in that day that the Father knows what day it is, it'll all be family business. And a part of us is like hanging on and longing for that. And if you ache for that, it's painful, but that's a good thing. If you ache for more peace, you are then in line with Jesus. If you ache for more people to know hope, you're in line with Jesus. If you ache for joy to just burst out and love to be actually known and stop measuring one person against another... If, if you ache for those things, then we're doing the family business. And what do we do? We, we keep doing it. I know people say, like, well, 
you don't keep doing the same thing if you're not getting the right results. We know the results, though. We know the results. And so Jesus clearly says, if you can bring that chart back up, Jesus clearly says to a group of people who live in the midst of all of that, in the midst of accusations and revolt, destruction of beloved symbols of their faith, in the midst of all of that, Mark writes these words that Jesus had said that, hey, I know, I know what's coming doesn't look like how you think it'll look. I know people will choose cardboard over the kingdom. I know there will be persecution. I know there will be pain. I am not promising there won't be. I am telling you that there will be. But it's all about how we stand through it and who we stand attached to during it. The pain that I have felt is real. The pain that you have felt is real. But Jesus is even more real. It's not dismissing your pain. It's not dismissing your trauma. It's not dismissing those days that you feel haunted by at night. It's not dismissing any of that. But it's saying that Jesus is more. And so when we feel those dark days, we'll be okay. I can't even define okay, but we'll be okay because of Jesus. Because Jesus isn't coming to just light this thing up, to dismiss it all, to get rid of it. He's not coming to change character and be like an angry dad. He's coming to be exactly who he has always proved to be. And we can join the first hearers of Mark and aching for that. And so as I close here, I want to just, I'm going to give you like 30 seconds, not more. But I'm going to give you just 30 seconds where, with some beautiful accompaniment to just sit and see if you can name the ache that you're feeling. And the thing that you're asking Jesus to come for, to give first fruits of, of wholeness and healing and mending on. And then I'm going to pray over all of us for that thing, and Pastor Rob is going to give us a benediction, a blessing on our way out, okay? So let me just give you just 30 seconds. Jesus, we hear of wars. And we hear of rumors of wars. 
We know of nations rising against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. We know of earthquakes, famine. We hear of people, and some of us love and know well people who are handed over to councils and leaders. We know people who are beaten in synagogues, mosques, churches. People are standing before governors and kings because of you. And we know our own aches. Our own ways that we feel like, is this working? This morning, would you gift each one of us with what it is that you have for us? Would you give us the courage to receive that? Courage to stay attached to you. To stay about the family business. To long for you to return. Thanks. It's because of the power, the majesty of your name. Amen.